Targeted and individualized therapies for cancer is a holy grail. Where is this happening today, and what does this mean for the near future? You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. Joining us is Walter M. Stadler, MD, Professor of Medicine, Director of the Genital Urinary Program, and Associate Dean of Clinical Research at the University of Chicago Medical Center. Dr. Stadler is an expert in prostate, kidney, bladder, and testicular cancers. He joins us to talk about the promise and perils of individualized cancer therapy. Dr. Stadler, welcome to Reach MD. Glad to be here. So why is everyone excited about the concept of individualized therapy and what is it? So I can probably talk best about individualized therapy in the context of my own field of cancer medicine. And we know that for many of the therapies that we administer in patients, that there is only a small minority of individuals who benefit from the therapy and the remainder of the patients experience only the toxicity without benefit. And if we could identify the patients most likely to benefit from a specific therapy, we could then focus that therapy on only those individuals and then exclude the other patients from the toxicity. And where are we doing that right now, and is it working? So it is working to a certain extent, but probably not as good as we would like. For example, in breast cancer, we know that tamoxifen is most beneficial in women whose breast cancer expresses the estrogen receptor. We know that trastuzumab or Herceptin is effective only in those patients that have overexpression of the HER2 new oncogene and receptor. So we do do it, but we're not able to do it as well as we would like. What do we need to know about individual patients and different kinds of cancers to begin to make this individualized therapy a reality? So we need to know a lot, and I suspect we need to know a lot more than we realize. We need to know a little bit about the tumor and what makes the particular tumor grow and what is a particular tumor's Achilles heel, for example. We need to understand the differences between cancers that we have typically called one kind of cancer. For example, it's clear that not all lung cancer is the same. We need to understand more about how different people metabolize certain drugs, and certainly some patients might metabolize drugs in a way that will make them either more or less effective or make them more or less toxic. So there's a number of different things, I think, that we need to understand and learn. Whenever I read about individualized therapy in cancer, I read about biomarkers. What are biomarkers? How do we detect them? And how expensive and accurate are the tests that we use to look for them? So biomarkers is a nice term that's been thrown around by a lot of different people. And it actually does have a formal definition from the FDA. But the definition is so broad, it essentially means anything that one can measure in a patient that then can be related to some kind of clinical or pharmacologic effect. So there's a lot of things that are biomarkers. I sometimes tell folks that one of the best biomarkers that we have in cancer, for example, is a performance status. In other words, 
how sick is the patient? Does the patient have symptoms or is the patient sick and, you know, unable to be out of bed more than 50% of the time? The ECOG performance status. And the ECOG performance status is a great biomarker in regards to prognosis. We know that someone who has a performance status of zero is going to do far better than someone who has a performance status of three, regardless of the intervention that we may uh, entertain. Are there other more technical biomarkers that we're beginning to look for and measure, and how do we measure those? So there are simple ones. There are more technically challenging ones. One simple biomarker that many people are familiar with is serum PSA, and PSA has been used as a diagnostic biomarker for diagnosing prostate cancer. It's been used as a therapeutic biomarker in prostate cancer as a marker of benefit from certain therapies. And its change has been used as a marker of disease progression. So it can be used in various different ways. I think that from technically more complex and complete opposite end of the spectrum are some of the imaging biomarkers. And there's been a lot of fascination regarding the increasingly sophisticated technology available with imaging and the large number of quantitative as well as qualitative biomarkers that can be derived from some of our imaging tests. Now, within a particular patient, are we convinced that all of their cancer cells are the same and that if we had a specific biomarker, we'd be able to create a therapy that would work for all cancer cells in a particular patient? Or do we even have within a patient different kinds of what we call the same cancers that would be responsive to different therapies? So that's one of the complexities of this individualized therapy, and that is the heterogeneity of the cancer. We know that there can be great heterogeneity amongst the different cancers, not only amongst the different cancers, but amongst different metastatic sites, even within a single patient. And that has certainly caused some investigators and commentators to be a little bit pessimistic about this whole approach. Uh, On the other hand, certain cancers do have Achilles heels, even if there is a certain degree of heterogeneity as they progress and develop. For example, with chronic myelogenous leukemia, or CML, the BCR-ABLE gene product is an Achilles heel, and imatinib and other drugs that attack that Achilles heel are effective even if there are additional mutations and additional heterogeneity within that disease. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. Walter M. Stadler, Professor of Medicine, Director of the Genito-Urinary Program, and Associate Dean of Clinical Research at the University of Chicago Medical Center about the promise and perils of individualized cancer therapy. So what are some of the most promising areas of research for identifying new biomarkers that might lead to individualized cancer therapy? I think that the most promising areas are the various omics research that people have identified, genomics, proteomics, metabolomics, as well as some of the imaging technologies that are somewhat technically complex but often a rich source of biomarkers. 
Are there any that are working in your areas of expertise, bladder, kidney, testicular cancers, that make you hopeful that eventually you'll be able to individualize therapy in those cancers? So we have done some research in imaging, for example, and have identified some imaging markers on MRI that we think might help us predict who will do better and who may not do so well with some of these newer antiangiogenic agents in kidney cancer. I think that the status of the research is pretty early and whether this is going to be successful or not in the long run is still needs to be determined, but it's certainly something that keeps us excited that this is still a valuable avenue of research. And who would fund that kind of research? The imaging companies, the patient advocacy groups within the medical centers? There's somebody that's likely to make uh, significant economic benefit from funding those kinds of projects? So the imaging companies certainly do have an interest in this area and do and will fund this kind of research. Occasionally, pharmaceutical companies that have a particular product would be interested in identifying patients most likely to benefit the NIH and other philanthropic funding organizations also sometimes have an interest, and we've gotten some of this funded in that manner. However, a lot of this research is the type of development research that the classic funding agencies such as the NIH consider to be, you know, rather mundane because sometimes we're taking a technology which may not necessarily be the latest or greatest, but are asking some very simple questions like, how can you utilize this technology in multiple centers and get the same answer? What's the variability from one patient to the next patient? What do we need to do to minimize variability when we conduct the same study in the same patient on two different days? It's often not particularly sexy and, as I said, a little bit mundane, and that tends not to excite uh, funding agencies and review agencies. But the ultimate result might be saving patients a lot of toxicity and trauma from treatment that's not going to work or developing treatments that might actually be more successful for particular patients. Oh, I certainly believe so, and I think that that's why we continue to conduct this kind of research. It's just not always the kind of things that make the headlines or the cover of the New England Journal of Medicine. What are some of the pitfalls that patients and physicians that are practicing right now should watch out for in thinking about individualizing therapy for a particular patient? I think that the biggest thing we have to be careful about is overpromising. And certainly I think that people are becoming aware of this in the context of some of the genomics research. It's now been, you know, identified that there are a number of genomic markers that increase your risk of disease A or B, and sometimes these are very common diseases such as diabetes or heart disease. And what we do with that information is not always clear. In other words, if a patient has a genetic marker that provides an odds ratio of 1.4 for developing diabetes, how should the physician or the patient respond, it's not clear aside from what we always say to our patients, which is, you know, don't gain too much weight, maintain exercise, and eat right. 
No one wants to get cancer, but if we get it, we'd sure like to know that the treatment's going to work for us, especially if it's a difficult course of treatment. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Walter Stadler, Professor of Medicine, Director of Genital Urinary Program, and Associate Dean of Clinical Research at the University of Chicago Medical Center for talking to us about the risks and benefits of using individualized therapies for cancer. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Stay on top of the latest medical topics by visiting our new website at ReachMD.com, where we welcome your questions and your comments. Use the promotion code RADIO when registering online and receive six months of complete access to our on-demand library of podcasts. And thank you for listening. Hi there, this is Ken Fitz from the University of Western Australia in Perth. You're listening to ReachMD, and we're talking about sports medicine.